everybody. Welcome to another edition of Card Cracks Podcast. This is, I'm Hector Castro, your host. I'm here today with a special guest, Senor Hercules Gomez of ESPN, ESPN Deportes. He's the host of a show called Ahora y Nunca, as well as ES, he's always, always on ESPN FC, as well as he also had this little thing called a pro soccer career, uh, playing for the U.S. national team, Mexican pro, pro, Mexican pro teams in the MLS, all over the place. Herc, how are you, brother? How's everything? I'm doing well. Heck, how you doing, man? I'm Long good, time no man. see. Good. First of all, I just want to congratulate you. I mean, uh, everybody doesn't know we're we're friends. We've been playing fantasy football for years. Yes. But uh, the hurt you, that I see—you've been annoying me for years. <laughs> Was it half brain you called me? <laughs> but uh, but uh, for the most part, uh, you recently started with ESPN. Uh, and you've been blowing up. So I just want to congratulate you. Thank you. Success, man. I mean, I know you're, you're working hard out there in L.A. You even lived in, in Connecticut once, which was shocking to me. <laughs> so, uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, you lived in Seattle, so Connecticut was probably easy for you. Yeah, no, Seattle's beautiful, man. Connecticut was actually pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I've been at this for four years now at ESPN. Start out ESPN in Bristol, where the hub is. Uh, it's amazing. ESPN's an incredible company. And then this opportunity to host my own show called Ahora o Nunca came about and uh, it brought me here to LA and that's opened the possibility to different projects and then to be closer to home. You know, I'm a Vegas kid. I was born in LA. Uh, I lived in LA as a player. This is where my off seasons were spent. So it, it, it was perfect. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, uh, you played in, in the MLS. Uh, you actually went in the, uh, you had a Mexican, you start with the Mexican Academy and then you went pro uh, in Los Angeles uh, with the Galaxy, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, I played in like a sort of, you think, bas- or baseball, like a farm system, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I played in a second division team in San Diego, and they were affiliated with the Galaxy, and that's how I ended up making my way to the Galaxy. Um, played one year in San Diego, then ended up playing with the Galaxy, and, you know, things kind of came fairly quickly. In that time, you didn't have um, – players who didn't get picked up that weren't part of the draft, the major league soccer draft. They'd go to, you know, high school and then to college and then they would get drafted. And that's the way you would make your way onto a major league soccer team at like 21, 22, 23 years of age. Well, I was 19 and I went straight, you know, from this little team in San Diego to the galaxy. And I was the youngest guy on my team. And, and it was just, you know, eye opening to see how, or I should say it's eye opening now to see how things have changed. Now you have kids who are, you know, playing in academies back then, Major League Soccer didn't have academies. Now there are academies everywhere. These kids are getting first team minutes, you know, before their 18th birthday. They're getting international recognition, scouting, you know, from across the globe. You, you see a kid like Ryan Reynolds, who just went to Roma, who was, you know, fought him off Juventus and, and paid when everything's said and done. It's going to be close to $15 million for a kid who's never played the national team, you know. So yeah, it's 16, 16 games, I think you total played yeah. in MLS. Yeah, I think, you know, I think he may have started 16 games, but appeared like in something like 20 something. But it's insane. Yeah. It just goes to show you how much things have changed. But yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, pretty much how I got there. Now, uh, let's, this obviously this is a podcast about soccer cards. So uh, I know you're not a, I don't believe you're a collector or anything. But the the reason why I wanted you on, because like I said, there's very little people that cover the sport like you do. I mean, you bring a, a you know, you're very versatile. You can talk Liga, Liga MX and you could talk about obviously, you know, La Liga and as well as MLS, like, like the best of them. So, um, you know, let's talk about your own personal experience, though. Uh, throughout your playing career, when was the first time you saw your own your own uh, t- uh, tops card? I'm sorry, upper deck. I believe was the first one in tops. 
Yeah, uh, I don't re- I don't recall if it was Upper Deck or Tops or, or what was it Fleer's another one. Uh, you know, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't I don't recall what it was, but I remember the first time um, was after a Galaxy game, and somebody comes up to me and said, "Can you sign this?" And, and you're so like, "Whoa!" Taken aback by it. you're like, "What is this?" You almost want to. You I feel I I felt embarrassed to almost be like, "Where did you get this? I want one." You know, uh, but. <laughs> That's the first time I ever recall seeing my face or my image on a trading card. And then uh, as you grow in experience and and recognition, people start mailing them to you, you know, to to, to mail them back with a Sharpie and a return label and whatnot, to mail it back. And you see all these different types of cards that you're in. And throughout the years, um, you know, I've uh, I've managed to 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 keep one or two, you know, I remember signing a bunch for somebody and I was like, Hey, listen, I'm going to sign a bunch of these for you, but give me one. He's like, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I do that. So I, I've gotten to collect my own throughout the years, but now I wasn't that big in the cards. Um, like every other kid, you know, uh, I had my run where, where I was collecting cards. I was collecting baseball cards. Um, even though I didn't really watch baseball, the simple, simple fact you can collect something and, and it was cool to, to trade them and, and do all that stuff at school was something that drew me to it. But it's wild to see your own face, your own image on a card. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. I mean, I, I that experience is, is probably uh, – I have a great story about a, a professional fighter. Uh, and it was just funny. Like, I remember when I showed him the car for the first time, he, he was exactly like you said, he was just like, Oh my God, where, where can I get these? I don't have any. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. Um, but for the most part, I mean, your career, when you play with the national team, um, it was, that was kind of like the first era. I mean, I would really say was when your team, the players on your team were playing overseas. That was kind of like the first wave of players to go overseas and well, play it for the most part. Well, my age group was was kind of the first wave of players to yes. really do a lot of things in in, in this landscape of U.S. soccer. It's, uh, my age group is a 1982 age group, which is Landon Donovan, Demarcus Beasley, Anguchin Weyu, Kyle Beckerman, you know, lots of different other other players. And that was the first residency program. So that was the first okay. time we saw a setup like we see in the rest of the world where the best players in the country are put in a location. This location happened to be Braves in Florida. And you live together and played year round, you know, football with each other. I wasn't part of that group uh, growing up. You know, I wasn't there, but that was my age group. So, yeah, a, a lot of these players were the first to kind of have that responsibility, if you will. I, re- I still recall the Project 2010. Uh, Project 2010 was the U.S. was supposed to be World Cup winners by 2010. Obviously, that did not happen. <laughs> I was part of that 2010 World Cup team. We, we did well, but not that well. Um, but that was the first, I would say age group or the first taste of responsibility. A lot of us had. And so, yeah, a lot of those players for the first time you were, um, exporting players, um, at a much higher frequency, but certainly nothing like we see today. No, not at all. And, and actually that picture that I have in my background, it's of the snow game that was in Colorado, I believe, where yeah. there was like three feet of snow and you guys were playing soccer. It was it was insane. Uh, the pictures and the, and the video of that is amazing. Uh, and I the reason why I picked that particular picture is because I am in, in New Jersey where we had like probably two feet of snow oh, uh, on Monday. So I was it was touching to my heart. So uh, for, <laughs> so at the end of the day. Uh, but you know what? I remember uh, you had a podcast with Max Max Brietos. And at the time was was kind of like when everything was changing. We had just missed qualifications. You were very credit critical. You were using your voice yeah. to kind of talk about U.S. soccer. Let's talk about that point and where we are now. Like, how do you see that? How do you see U.S. soccer changing? 
it's changed a lot. I, I think that failure of not qualifying, um, it just wasn't one game. It was a lot of things that didn't go right. A lot of things that weren't done properly that got you to that point. Um, if they played another 99 times, the U.S. probably wins those other 99 times. Uh, I think the SPI, the percentage, you know, that they had of of not making the World Cup before that game was 3%. Uh, it was like a perfect, come, you know, storm that happened, a perfect cocktail that, you know, that just blew up in their face for them not to make it. Um, all these different factors. Uh, I think Mexico had to lose to Honduras. Uh, Costa Rica had to, had to lose to Panama. You know, uh, there had to be – the U.S. had to – uh, even if they lost, they could have still made it if all these different factors didn't come into play. And it did. It's not an excuse. It happened. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't go. But it made people reflect. It made everybody pull back the curtain, lift up the trunk, see what's going on. And for the first time in its history, U.S. soccer was critical. First time in its history, it was reflective. Uh, and that's healthy. You know, in, in this, I guess, field, um, I played – ball in Mexico. My teammates, a lot of them played ball in England and Germany, um, different parts around the globe. And the media is very different. The media isn't uh, dependent on access by the Federation. And some of the media at that time was dependent on that access. So they wouldn't be as critical. I was was in a position, thankfully, where I didn't depend on access. You know, I'm part of the world leader in sports. So I say what I want because that's what they pay me to do. So I was vocal. I was honest. I was up front and, you know, people started jumping on board and, and, and holding the, the right people accountable. And since then uh, there's been a lot of negativity with the team, but since then I could say the last year, maybe 13, 14 months, things seem to be turning around. There seems to be a great generation. There's going to be a lot of optimism and it's about now seeing the, the fruit of those labors, seeing if what they have done to rectify uh, really works. Uh, I think it, 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 they've changed before. They kind of laid back. They used a lot of the same players. One or two faces might have changed. Now they kind of just like Josie's the only one that's still flirting from the previous regime. And I think they've been out getting these young recruits. It feels like you said twenty Project Twenty Ten. I feel like right now we're in Project Twenty Twenty Six. That's. I mean, it's a good timeline. That's that's honestly my first. Um, date of really expecting them to do something really putting pressure on them like they they should make a decent run and what i mean by decent run is they got to get out of the group they got to try to surprise maybe win that you know that knockout game but if they don't i don't think too many people will be upset it's a very young group but 2026 here in the states uh, a lot of those players will be in their prime a lot of those players today are at you know massive clubs barcelona city dortmund leipzig you know, all these big clubs around the world are garnering all types of attention. That's the real test. That's the real bar uh, to measure us as a footballing country. That's a, brings up a great point now that I wanted to turn a little bit. Let's talk about our, our, our professional league here in the States. MLS has always kind of been our, our a, a league that's taken similar, very similar to Mexico, where the talent stays within. Very little gets sold. It's the players move from from team to team, but you don't see a lot of in the past, at least with the MLS, a lot of the talent they've tried to kind of keep it within the U.S. Now I feel like it's obviously changed in the last few months. Now you're starting to see uh, players could be, you know, now they're lo- they're getting loaned out like crazy because of the labor issue, uh, but also the talent is there. The talent's good enough, and eyes are in, within the U.S. 
do you think like players like Giovanni Reina? I know that uh, Giovanni Reina and Weston McKinney they signed they were signed out of the uh, the the team academies uh, New NYFC in Dallas um, without a real compensation to the club for all that development. Do you think that kind of turned heads now, seeing their success and they're like, hey, we can't do this again? Yeah, anytime you have somebody who does well, um, they open the door for other especially in what is this landscape for other players to, to kind of come in of the same mold. So Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic, um, Tyler Adams, these players doing well, you know, Zach Steffen opens the door for more young Americans to kind of come in. And then they realize like, Hey, there's some talent there. And also not only is there some talent there, but they're not as expensive and it's not as hard to get them to come here as maybe, other players of other countries. Do you think it, the MLS now is considered a selling league? I don't know if it's because of its COVID or if it's just. Uh, no, I don't know if it's a selling league, but it's for the first time in my recent memory, Hector, it's a participant in the world's market, you know, in the global market. So that's, that's important. Um, I don't think you should strive to be like a Brazil with the talent of players, you know, um, or in England, but you should strive to be like, a, you know, Uruguay. Argentina. And what I mean by that is you should want to export as many players as you can, as young as they, they can be um, to rub iron, to, sh- or to rub shoulders, sharpen iron with the world's elite uh, with the idea of that increasing your pool, which increases your talent, which increases your chances of actually doing something as a country. Now let's talk about uh, Liga MX. Uh, my question is here. Well, actually, hold on. We follow MLS. MLS is starting to sign a lot of uh, Latino talent, uh, yeah. young guys out of Argentina, Uruguay, Colombia. They're bringing and Mexico. A couple of guys from Mexico are coming. I mean, they're starting to get into the U.S. So now is the is the United? I mean, is the LML, MLS seeing that opportunity? Take the money from overseas, invest in better, younger talent from the Latin America to to, to increase our play here in the U.S. Well. I- it goes to what I was just saying, you know, these countries, the players that are, I guess, cheap, and I don't want to say cheap because that's not a good word to use, but that are as expensive. expensive, you know, your investment isn't as expensive, but your return could be greater, usually are from Latin America. Uh, now they're becoming, you know, players from African countries. Uh, so they're just trying to do smart business. Well, being a player in the global market, you need to emulate these type of countries that are doing well and, and why are they doing well and where are they going for their talents and how are they getting it and what is the price per player and what is, you know, the investment return and they're getting smart about it. They're becoming a player in this market. So you're going to see a lot more of that. Do you see a Liga MX following suit and starting to sell more? Because, I mean, their league is weird. I mean, in my opinion, it's no. weird because you see, they, you see they, major they players wanna- going from one team to another. They may want to sell more, but their market, they've got their own like little bubble market and their prices are so crazy. Anybody from the outside looking in is going to be like, I don't, I don't want part of that. I don't want to spend that much money. I, I can't. You know, I, it doesn't make sense for me to spend that much money on one player. So as long as their own internal market's bubbling the way it is, I don't f- foresee them becoming players in the, in, in the global market. Got it. Got it. And how do you think the this all will work out? I mean, besides the, you know, like I said, when you guys were growing up with with Tim, Landon, uh, Clint, and now with uh, with the way our national team is shaping up, playing out outside of, uh, of, of the United States. How do you think this is going to shape up for Mexico? Do you think like the future, you know, let's fast forward to 2026. How do you think that's going to land up with our, our our kids playing overseas in Europe and you have, you know, Mexican kids still playing in Mexico? Do you think that's going to change at all? 
the level. Well, when, what needs to change in Mexico is that it can't be you have to become a top player in Mexico for you to leave, you know, and it can't be it can't be when you leave. They sell you for a lot of money because if that's the way it's going to be, there's not going to be a whole lot of transfers in in, in Liga MX, and your talent's going to be developed only within. And that'll only take you so far. You want your best players playing in the best leagues in the world against the best players in the world. Um, so if that doesn't change, they're going to be left behind. Right now, they've got unbelievable generation of, of players, uh, really good players with the ball, really technical, really savvy, really dangerous. Uh, Raul Jimenez, Tecatito Corona, Chucky Lozano. Uh, but that's going to only take you so f- far. I mean, at one point, those players will leave and what's the next generation? And that's where they're going to come into problems and come into pr- troubles. And if they can't export, if they can't develop, and it's also a point of conversation, we talk about developing within your own league, they don't at the moment because there's so many foreign players in that league that sometimes the positions that these foreign players take are the very important positions that really matter or difference makers at a top level. And these players aren't getting exposed to those opportunities. So uh, it seems to be a, a counterproductive situation for uh, Liga MX at the moment. Um, and the Mexican Federation, I think they're aware. They're, they're very savvy. They're very good at what they do. Um, they're, they're a powerhouse in what is – youth national teams. Um, it's just about giving these kids more opportunities. I've, uh, I've done some research on uh, some of your previous stories and podcasts, and you got some crazy ones of, uh, you know, for just from you acting as an agent and envelopes of cash and all that good stuff. So uh, I don't want to get too deep into that stuff because we'll be here all day. Uh, but uh, you know what? So from a soccer card standpoint, uh, you know, the market's extremely young. Uh, it just started up heating up over, you know, with COVID. Uh, now, from your, from you being on both sides, as far as being, uh, you know, involved with League MX and and then U.S. Uh, U.S. the U.S. national team, give me like your all-time Mount Rushmore of players that are up there because I mean there's a lot of un um, and a lot of talent that people don't give recognition to right now, really underrated. Give me your Mount Rushmore uh, of the Mexican uh, side and as well as the U.S. side. All right, Mexican side is Cuatemo uh, Blanco. Jorge Campos, uh, Rafa Marquez, Hugo Sanchez, um, Chicharito. Those are those are that's my Rushmore on the Didn't US. you tie him at one point, Chicharito? Yeah, Golden Boot in Mexico. Um, that's right, baby. He, that's right, yeah. Hercules Gomez, right here, guys. <laughs> People may say what they want about him, and they, they can have their opinions about him. But you can't deny the guy's you know records and statistics. It's 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 unheard Absolutely. of. He's, he's a you know uh, he's got the most amount of goals ever by a Mexican player on the national team. So that's, it's gotta be respected. And he's played at the highest of levels. Um, us, we have Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey. You have uh, Claudio Reyna. You have uh, Casey Keller for me. Uh, and no people don't give him his credit, but he's for my money, one of the best, if not the best goalkeeper, um, the U S men's national team has ever produced. Um, and the fifth there, if we can get a fifth in is, man, Let's see, I, I got Casey, Landon, Clint, Claudio. Ooh. What tab? Tab's a very good cow, very good shout. Uh, and I think Christian's definitely flirting because I've, I've seen very few, if any, um, probably just Landon and Clint do what he can do with the ball. Mm-hmm. Um now, I mean, I know you're a big fantasy guru. Uh, most people don't even know that. Fantasy football, I mean, you're, you're commission. 
one of the things that we do in fantasy football, we find those prospects, Herc. We try, we try to find those golden gems. Um, give me some guys that, in your opinion, that we should be following and, and maybe investing in for the long haul because you see some special out of these guys. Oh. I mean, we have Pulisic, you have Gio, you got Weston, Josh Sargent, uh, Musa. So, I mean, like, who, who, do, you, who do you like? Moose is a good player, man. I, you know what? I really like Tyler Adams. I, I think he's a, I think he's a future U.S. Men's National Team captain. Uh, I think there's a special group. Um, the crazy thing is, it feels like every other week there's a new name popping up. You know, yeah, like Matt today, Hoppy, baby. Yeah, it's all about Hoppy. Yeah, Matthew Hoppy. <laughs> I mean, today, today it's Tyler Adams. It's Christian Pulisic. It's Gio Reyna. Tomorrow, you know, it's Musa. Tomorrow, it's. Tyler Adams, the next, or I'm sorry, uh, Matthew Hoppy, the next day it could be some kid we've never even heard about. You know, Caden Clark, who's getting seven minutes at Red Bulls, who's already, you know, promised to uh, to Leipzig. So it, it's one of those things, you know, that I was talking about be a Uruguay. Because um, I, I could tell you right now, my my favorite player and the one player who surprised me is Weston. You know, Weston is a kid that I thought was a good player, very Jermaine Jones about his business, um, but undisciplined. And since he's been in Italy, the way he's kind of shaped his game, the way he's taken a, a more disciplined approach to how he defends tactically and for his team and not just go and hunt for the ball and, you know, leave spaces behind him, drag people out. Uh, he's become a very complete player. He always had the ability to get into the box and kind of, you know, connect and get on the end of things. But he's a player that really surprised me. I think those two are my favorite players on the national team just because of what they bring at the moment, uh, Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney. But it's hard not to feel optimistic when you see on the offensive front what you the players you have at your disposal and how young they are. Absolutely. Now, there's not a lot of talk uh, here, at least with Liga MX, and there's not a lot of card deals. I know they have stickers down there. Give me some uh, players that you, you mentioned that there's some t- good talent down there. Uh, tell me a little bit about some of those guys. Uh, you know, if you can just list off some names, because I guarantee you there's a lot of people listening that have no clue uh, about any uh, talent down there in Mexico. Well, right now there's a player in Chivas whose name's uh, JJ Macias. He's a, he's a forward. I believe he's like 20 years old. Uh, good size, very good feet, very good in tight spaces, hits the ball very well with both feet, uh, goal score, good brain on him in the final third. He's probably the most I'm optimistic about. There are a few other players that I'd say they may have something, you know, but he's, he's probably the most prime ready to, to make the jump. Um, and that's a big issue is, is that you look at young guys who potentially could stand out and he's by default, one of them. I think Chivas has two others that I really like that I think are very promising. Alexis uh, Vega. He's very fast. He, he's very good in open space. He's direct. Um, he's dangerous in the sense that, something always happens with him. He pulls goals. He pulls assists. He has a, an air for the spectacular. And Ariel Antuna, who's just, man, he's very direct in a very good way. He's very raw. So I still feel like you can mold him in the, in the correct, you know, setting and become a good player. But other than that, you start looking at other Mexican clubs and who they have, young players, and you'd be very hard-pressed to see names that stand out because if I just name players in Liga MX to name players, like who's doing really well? Like, like Chapo Montes, Luis Montes is the best player in Liga MX. He's, but he's also like 34, 35 years old. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, yeah. So it, it's it gets difficult. But as far as promise, those three guys and Chivas have them. You know, that would be my my picks. Oh, Sebastian like, Cordova. Uh, Sebastian Cordova is another one I really yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Santiago Jimenez. Uh, what about what about someone like Munoz? Right? 
says, oh, yeah, Chaco Jimenez's son, he's good. There's uh, Santiago Munoz from Santos. Uh, but those are improvements. Those are those are very much like promise only. I, I would say the most okay. ready one is JJ Macias, JJ. Do you think he'll make it out? Do you think they'll sell him? Yeah, I, I think sooner rather than later, he should make it out. They should sell him for a decent price. But you never know because that's that's a big issue of how much they sell him for, of why these players don't leave. Sure. Now, one thing that you're doing on your show, Aura Nunca, is uh, you're doing a lot of UFC. Yeah. And what people uh, people don't know this, uh, the Gomez jeans, they are pretty freaking good because uh, there is your little brother is a was a UFC fighter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He so was. I, that's it, the useless one, Mr. Useless Gomez. Uh, yeah. He was a flyweight in the UFC, one of the first flyweights in the UFC. Uh, so, I mean, uh, you know, let's talk about UFC a little bit. Uh, who's your route, route, Mount Rushmore for the UFC? Let me start by saying my brother uh, was legit before UFC even had his weight class. He was legit. Absolutely. Tai Chi yeah. Palace. He was, Tai Chi Palace. Yeah, he was, yeah, he he was he the was. man. Uh, who, who knows what would have been if, if UFC came around. A little know, earlier. Was, yeah, yep. when he was in his prime. Um, yep. But it, so it's it's in the family genes competing, you know. Um, yeah, right now, I mean, Mount Rushmore, I mean, Anderson Silva, you know, uh, GSP. Uh, who else do you have? Uh, John Jones. Um, you got to throw Connor in there because he's he's changed the way the UFC is is perceived. His cards are ridiculous right now. Yeah, his I mean, cards are ridiculous. Yeah, within and, the last and, month, within the last month, hurt UFC cards. You could have bought one for like thirty dollars and a high end nice autograph card. Those cards now are thousands. Uh, you know, for as far as like a uh, Connor, Connor's always Connor's shot up now uh, in the thousands now. Ever before his last fight, after he lost it, it shot down a little bit. Dustin yeah. shot up, but I mean, for the most part, I mean, the UFC market's blowing up. It's actually it just started within the last month or so, catching some real ground. Yeah, no, no, he's he's there for sure. I mean, he's he's changed the game, and I think uh, Amanda Nunes as well. She's, uh, I mean, yeah. you, you look at who she's beaten, you look at how she's beaten, how dominant she is in two different weight classes. Uh, she's got to be there as well. So that's my Mount Rushmore. That's awesome, man. So, Herc, let's talk about uh, let's talk about where we can find you, where we can listen to your stuff. I mean, here's a take a minute, plug away. Let's see. Uh, you can find me on social media. Uh, for one, my social media channels are all Hercules with a Z G at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, high five, MySpace, all that good stuff. Uh, and and you could tune in to what is ESPN Deportes, Monday through Friday. I am on Hora Nunca. It is uh, 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, 6 p.m. Um, Eastern, uh, Monday through Friday, when Major League Soccer season is on in Liga Mecas, you can find me on the weekends calling games in Spanish. You can find me throughout the week on ESPN FC. And uh, also... Um, Pretty soon we have a special project. I can't announce it yet, but pretty soon we'll have a special project coming in March that a lot of soccer fans will enjoy. So be on the lookout for that. And yeah, man, I'm an open book. If you guys ever find me on social media, just ask. Hector will tell you. Uh, I, I love football. I love uh, mixed martial arts. I love a lot of different sports. So come at me. Yeah. No, seriously, guys. Herc is awesome, especially when you start tra- jabbing with him. I mean, he, he'll take you down with the best of them, man. I, I, I've been taking jabs for him for years. And for, for a couple of those first couple of years, I started playing with you, man. I was like, okay, you know, I can't piss off Herc. It's Herc, you know, big star and everything. But after a while, the gloves were off and I was just like, and it was fun. going. You back and, and my brother were the most annoying people I've ever met in my life. This, so content, they used to share a fantasy football team. That's where the, that's where the term half brain came uh, from. Yes. They were co-managers yes, yes. on this fantasy team, and it 
it was just. I still don't. I don't. I still don't think he runs that team now. I still think he's got. No, he auto drafted, but the worst part is he he won this year. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Shout out to useless, Herc. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time, guys. Make sure you follow Car Cracks on Instagram as well as Twitter. Uh, Herc, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Best of luck to you, and I'll watch you on ESPN, man. Best of luck, buddy. Thanks a lot for having me, Hector. Appreciate it, man.